Well, so John says here we need to have a cold open, right? Something uh-huh. funny. So, uh, hey, you know what else has got a cold open, though? A DeLorean just after traveling through <laughs> time. I was time. like, are you about to say? <laughs> if you've got anything better, by all means. I don't. I guess this joke was my density. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I've got... Hey, Alex, this isn't our podcast. Where are we? I think you mean, when are we? No, I, I don't. We haven't time traveled. What are you doing? <laughs> We're not on our podcast. That's not how locations work. Hi, I'm Alex. And I'm JD. And this is Home Viewing. A podcast where we take over for John and Bethany and talk about a movie that we watched. Yep. Did that sound natural and not like I was reading off a script? Not even slightly. <laughs> this is weird. Like, I guess we're just gonna, we're just talking and stuff. Like, we, there's very little structure from here on out. Yeah, we don't have a list. Well, like, <laughs> we don't have a list to reference. JD, what are we watching? Or what did we watch? Cold Card Time Machine. <laughs> Stupid. Also, one time it's a train, so it's not even accurate. Like, it's barely ever even a train. However, it is not cold after the first film. No! It's Back to the Future! We're watching Back to the Future! All of them. All three. Parts one, two, and three. We were asked to watch a movie that we own a DVD of. Yes. And this was a movie that we both personally own a full DVD box set. Although, at the moment, neither of us has a functioning DVD player. But it's fine. We own the DVDs. Yeah. (laughs) More DVDs than we actually need to own because there are two of us. Also, we were specifically asked to watch, you know, something that John and Bethany don't have themselves. Who doesn't own Back to the Future? They don't have Back to the Freaking Future! We both have Back to the Future! Like, when when they asked us what we were going to do or whatever, I looked through my DVDs and I looked through their back catalogue and they're like, okay, so we've got this, we could do this, we could do that. Hold on, Back to the Future? They haven't done Back to the Future! They don't own Back to the Future! Who doesn't own Back to the Future? Everyone's seen Shrek! (laughs) (laughs) Am I allowed to reference our own podcast? I mean, I guess, but it's a stupid reference. (laughs) Okay, fine. One in 19 people don't own Back to the Future, and I guess it's John and Bethany. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times, good times, good times. I'm used to something with so much more structure where we introduce the thing and then specifically talk about the characters, but we just say whatever we want now, right? We just talk about movies. Yeah. We watched them over three days. Yeah. We didn't say watch, I don't know, eight movies over the course of one weekend. That would be absurd. That would be insane and painful on a physical level. Yeah, that would hurt. Yeah. Why would Who would do that to themselves? Especially when the films that they watched over one weekend aren't even very good. <laughs> Hi, we have a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> I think you'll find it's not a Harry Potter podcast. Sorry. Hi, we don't have a Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, obviously we would have come here to talk about Harry Potter, but they already did that. So And they talked about Fantastic Beasts. Yep, and that's all of the Harry Potter related yeah, films. Yeah, there's no other movies. No other media. No. Well, there's the books. I guess there's the books. The books, I guess, can't exist, but there's no- nothing Welcome else. to home reading. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. 
I have a lot of books at home. You're just going to have a book club podcast? Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So back to the future. Yeah, we don't even need to... Like, you've seen it. You watched it. You can't unwatch it. I don't... I wouldn't want to if I could. So... I... Uh, precursor. Mm-hmm. I love Back to the Future. These films are fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> They're so good. They're very fun. Incredible. I mean, yeah. We're fans. I reckon we talk about, like, each of the films first and then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, then as a whole. Yeah. But, like, I just want to... I just need to get it out there real quick that I love these movies. Sure. I've been so, to Comic-Con dressed as Marty McFly. Like, I'm one of those people. Great Scott. <laughs> I, th- I met another guy who was dressed as Marty McFly, and he, like, saw me from a distance, and he was like, Hey, McFly! <laughs> to get me to turn around. <laughs> and we took a picture together. <laughs> It was weird. Comic-Con, man. Remember, <laughs> remember cons? Anyway. <laughs> so, the first film, Back to the Future. Yes. I guess part one, but it's not part one because <laughs> they only ever planned to make one when they first made it. Yeah. It's a fucking phenomenal film. It really is. Like, it's... I have no real issues with it. No, there's like, like some minor bits here well, and there that will get... Let's to... talk about what works. Yeah, first we'll talk what about works. what works. We've listened to this podcast. Nearly everything. Yeah, I mean... Hold on, I got notes. Uh, let's see, my, my notes start on a very <laughs> important note. Note number one. Chekhov's everything. So, like... But, I mean, let's talk about that. So, like, the setup yeah. this film does constantly throughout is fantastic marty's family being established is so solidly done it, it's it feels so organic it, yeah. we were talking about this when we watched it it was like the conversations that they're having as an audience member like watching it a second time you or a third or however many times we've seen this <laughs> many. um like you know that a lot of the conversation they're having is exposition and because yeah. you know the plot it's like oh haha i know how this comes back later yeah but if you're just watching it for the first time mm-hmm. the conversations to feel so organic unlike so many other films including other films in this series <laughs> yeah. where the characters would be like as you know his some stuff yeah Whereas the this- first one doesn't do that no. and maybe like a tiny bit in places it's like Marty talking to Jennifer at the beginning he's like talking about his family yeah. and sure she's met his family but like no one knows your family like you know your family right so he's like come on my mum would freak out if she knew we were doing this yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she never would have done anything like this when she was a teenager cue later in the film when she's doing exactly that yeah and it's just such a good setup and such a good establishing of these characters yeah and it feels so natural and it's so good it's it's yeah it's just i mean less so like when the lady interrupts their kiss with the like save the clock tower that's a little bit less natural but a little less but also but only a little less old people be like that though i know that's the thing (laughs) only a little less (laughs) and that's only because Old people are fucking weird. <laughs> they gotta save the clock tower. How's hot? <laughs> <laughs> what else we got in here? Yeah. Um. So I first. Oh, the Twin Pines, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, all of so... the all of the set pieces yeah. that aren't necessarily focused on, but yeah. they are very clearly in in fo- like in shot. But like, yeah. But you're not looking at those on because, the first watch. You're because you're watching the character. You're watching Marty run to. You're watching Marty skateboard to the parking lot. Yeah, the Twin Pines Mall. And like it shows the sign Twin Pines Mall next to a clock, and because obviously clocks are involved, clocks are all over the place, of course. Like, yes. And the audience knows that. The yeah, it's, a, it's, it's obviously a time travel movie. And like the opening credits, you're watching like dozens of clocks. It, yeah, the pan across the lab with like all of the clocks ticking is so good. It's so thematic, and it, 
like a lot of work is being done in those shots to establish the characters as well yes very because, much so but you get the, the shot of the twin pines more parking lot and then like later on you and that come just back feels to, like oh it's just a set piece yeah whatever doc even explains oh i remember when this was old man peabody's farm and he had a crazy idea about breeding pine trees and he has like a weird little look yeah like, but then like, you go back weird. and you meet old man peabody and you see the twin pines and marty destroys one of them and you hear him shout my pines and you think that's it like it's oh you establish that and then at the end of the film marty runs back to the to the parking lot and the first sign we really get that anything has changed in time is when the parking lot sign now says Lone Pine Mall. It's so good. Yeah. And there's so many moments like that. Yeah, constantly. Like, it's, it's in the setup before the whole time travel stuff starts to happen, there's there's almost everything that we get yeah. shown like, comes back in some way. Marty pining over a 4x4 that he really wants <laughs> yeah. at the end of the film. He now owns that car. Yeah. Like, everything. Uh, the, like, them hanging out in the town square. Mm-hmm. Like, after school, him and Jennifer. Yep. And then that... That set piece, the way that that set piece yeah. comes back, oh my god! Over and over and over again, like and like everything. Yeah, like there's anything that you can remember seeing in the movie, mm-hmm. it has a, a second purpose or it comes back in a second yeah. way, mm-hmm. and it's so good. Visually, let's talk about the characters. Okay, yeah. the characters are so strong. I mean, you've got two main characters, obviously. You've got Doc, yeah. you've got Marty. Yes, and like. It's been said before, but like the film establishes early on that this teenage boy and this crazy old man scientist are the best of friends, and you don't question it at no. all. That's just what it is. It's kind of implied that maybe Marty works as Doc's assistant, but that's never even stated. No, and it's they just sort of implied that like yeah, and they are clearly friends. It's yeah. not just like a professional thing or anything. Yeah, yeah, we never really get told like how they know each other. No, it's just sort of like here they yeah. are. So I'm not going to talk about it, but like, I know there have been comics released in the last few years. Some of those comics, one thing that they do is like they explore like how Marty and Doc oh, met. Neat, yeah. And that's that's fun. Yeah, yeah, Because like, yeah. there is a lot of that sort of stuff here where you can like... You can pick up sort of context clues yeah, that it, sort of imply none that None of like, it is necessary to know, but it's all fun to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they, they have really built this world and, mm-hmm. and built these characters yeah. that don't feel forced. It's just, they've just set up this existence. Mm-hmm that just exists and you don't need to question it it feels fine both main characters are complete fucking morons yes Doc Brown is a genius scientist he's invented time travel but Still he's got that scatterbrain yeah he's the scatterbrains kind of ditzy almost yeah yeah very forgetful not very practical Marty's just so fucking dumb Marty's an idiot he just like he write like every time he time travels. The first time you can get get over him being a bit disoriented. Yeah, it's just more of a thing in the following films. <laughs> but every time he goes somewhere new, he just cannot help himself but talking about stupid shit. I mean, after he's been in the fifties for a day and like he knows what's going on, he's been there for a while or something at that point. But like he's in the house with his mom's family, right? And they're watching TV and he's like, "Hey, I know this one. I saw it before." And it's like, "What are you talking about? You're in the fifties. This is brand new. Reruns don't exist." Marty, shut the fuck up! But then you get oh, you get brilliant dialogue. Like, like his grandmother, Lorraine's mother, says like, Marty, you look so familiar. Oh, sorry. Calvin, you look so familiar. Do I know your mother? And he just looks he just, at like, Lorraine. Looks, yeah, looks like, at his uh, literal mom. Yeah. Ugh. Like, Lorraine... There's so many little moments like that. Sorry to cut you off. No, but, no, like, no. there's so many little moments like that mm-hmm. where the, the audience and oftentimes Marty, yes. like know more about the situation yeah. a lot than of the dramatic rest of... irony yes yes thank you that was the word i was looking for and it's all done so so well oh, yeah. yeah like oftentimes that kind of stuff uh 
is clunky, forced, yeah, not or, natural, yeah, or otherwise kind of makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, like it, it, it could lean into a lot of that like secondhand embarrassment, mm-hmm. like in the way that it gets done sometimes. Yeah. but this one is just it's funny. It's really it's funny. just like genuinely funny. Yeah, you've also got. Lorraine, George, Biff is like the other main characters in this film and yes. a bunch of other side characters who are really fun in their own way. Lorraine and George in particular, like the difference between them in the 50s and the 80s is astonishing. So it's obviously, because we mostly see them in the 50s, they've cast other like people the same age as Marty, yeah. as Michael J. Fox. They've got Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson. But like the way they look in the 80s, in both versions of the 80s, is phenomenal. Lorraine, particularly at the beginning, like she looks like she looks worn down. She looks she like, looks she like looks, a middle-aged housewife yeah. who's sort of given up on yeah, the world. Yeah, she's like put on weight. <laughs> she's like clearly looks a bit bummed out and stuff. Like she's let herself go a bit. Yeah, she's and, like, sort of stopped caring, and you can see that like instantly in looking at her. Like George looks fine there, but like the sl- slicked back hair and the glasses stuff. But that yeah. is less distinct. Whereas a then lot at the of end, his stuff like, is posture as well. Yes, um, like then, he's always very slumped over, and like he talks and he doesn't make eye contact with anyone. And, and then at the end after. To the like Marty's changed the timeline and like the difference with George then when he's got like the silver hair and they just like standing out it's straight phenomenal. he's very like, comfortable with himself you know, plenty of films put characters in makeup to make them look older and it doesn't work well Christopher Lloyd <laughs> they put him in makeup to make him look older in the 80s but in the 50s he still looks really fucking old yeah, we, can, like, we have a hard time telling the difference. Yeah, that's... I mean, it's very minimal. And they make a joke about that in part two. Yeah, with him pulling the stuff off his face, yeah. Yeah, but it, there's really no much difference. No, like, I think I the think hair I, is slightly different. Yeah, you can see I, where the makeup is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got, like, these, like, weird wrinkles on his neck that look really unnatural. But he doesn't... But that, you can, you only see him if, you, if you're looking for it. But the real yeah, question he does, is... He doesn't look any older. Like, if he looks that old in the 50s, how old is he actually supposed to be in the 80s? I don't... It's not clear. I don't know. Biff is a delight. He's <laughs> such a good. He's such a good antagonist. Yeah. Thomas Ruff Wilson is a delightful person. Yes. Um. He he's definitely one of those characters where it's like, yeah, no, I I don't need any extra reasons to hate you. Like, yeah, you're the bad guy. Cool. Let's go. Is it? What doesn't work in part one? Like we watched it, and for the most part, we're sitting there thinking like, this is. This, this is so perfect. good. It's like, I love these things. I have things. nothing to criticize. Like, the 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 plot progression it 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 comes full circle. Like it does everything really really well. It's really tight. Everything serves a purpose. Like like functionally and technically, it's it's a very good movie. And then you get to like the last twenty minutes. Not even that. Like the last like ten minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're right. So you've got the resolution of like the main story of. Like, Marty making sure his parents still get together. Yeah. You've got the, George and Lorraine kiss at the dance. Yeah, the, the, it's the, all the, nice. Enchantment like, of the Sea dance. Like, he plays that musical number. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later. <laughs> it's very good. And then... And then, like, it feels resolved. Everything feels yeah. like it's sorted out. Except Marty's still in the 50s. So then he goes back to meet up with Doc, and they do, like, the, quote, experiment to get Marty back to his time. But it feels kind of... It's just there because it has to be to resolve the film overall. And it doesn't really fit. It... So the whole film, the whole time, like, you're aware of this deadline. Yes. They have to get the car to the lightning strike at the right time so yeah. that the power will be there so they can travel back through time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, the rest of the plot is resolved by that deadline. Yeah. And, it's- and then you get to the deadline and it's like, oh, we gotta sort of make th- the tension come yeah. back. We so, gotta, like- We gotta ramp this back up and so yeah. they throw in a lot of that yeah it's like the power lines get disconnected yeah. and Doc has to like urgently get them together and stuff as the clock's ticking and the ticking clock the ticking is clock great. is great 
But it just feels... You're sat there feeling like, I thought we everything already feels resolved. Yeah, this should be going smoother. Yeah. Then, like, Marty gets back to the 80s, and that part feels fine, I think. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's well done. And like, But it, it, it really is just that scene where they're sort of, like, mm-hmm. putting in this extra action tension mm-hmm. like extra focusing on the on the deadline when yeah. the story feels like it's already done yeah um and then the f- so that's like yeah it's the the only weak point the final ending of the film the film ends on a cliffhanger it does it wasn't originally intended to be a film with a se- it was they never intended to make a sequel no it was like ah it's, it's funny they're now they travel yeah. through time and do goofy and like, shenanigans they never name drop the title until that final scene at the end it's yeah. just a fun moment. You're like, hey! They did the thing! Yeah. And like, it's a great title, by the way. Oh, yeah. Like, and it's a, very fitting and so iconic. Doc arrives back from the future. But they do stuff like they establish the Mr. Fusion. It's all of this stuff that, like, they weren't intending to do a sequel. Yeah. And it's just so much established about the world. It's your so kids, Marty! Quickly! Something's gotta be done about your kids! It's... And then... It's incredible. So then, like, he ends up telling, them, telling Marty to bring Jennifer... Which turns out to be a huge mistake for the sequel because the writers did not ever intend to have Jennifer be along for the ride. No. So then we get to part two. Yeah, let's talk about part two. Part two. Part two has the most notes. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to hit you with one negative thing about part two just to kick it off. Okay. I know that's a bit out of order, but I've got to say, this film gave me nightmares for months as I, a kid. <laughs> I was, I was going to bring that up if you <laughs> didn't. So like the alternate 1985 which is a dystopia. Biff has, like, ruined the world and there's crime everywhere. Everyone has guns. And, you know, I'm from England. Nobody has guns here. Yeah. And honestly, though, the part that... I think the part that stuck with me the most was, like, the casino part. Mm. So I used to go on holiday a lot as kids, in, still in England, to, like, yeah. caravan parks and things. Sure. And those sorts of places will always have, like, a place on slight sites where you can play, like, a lot of, like, arcade games and stuff. Sure. And flashing lights. And again, arcades haven't really been a thing here for most of my life. Those always, after I saw Back to the Future 2, they gave me like flashbacks to that film. <laughs> and I felt uncomfortable going in those places for oh, quite a wow. while. That didn't persist for that long, but a few years probably. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So it's honestly, it's like the casino sort of stuff that so freaks me more. So I take you to Vegas. Well, no. So Back to the Future 2. The yeah. positives. The positives. The visual iconography in this film is <laughs> off the scale. Everyone knows about self-lacing shoes, about hoverboards, about Marty's ridiculous fashion. Yes, the hat. The hat. The, the like holographic hat. The upside down Pepsi can. Hoverboards. Did we mention hoverboards? Like Hoverboards. I mean, it was a scooter, a hover scooter. It said hoverboard on it, <laughs> just to play off of the scooter scene in the 50s. Yeah. It was before skateboards were invented. Yeah. It's pretty dumb. It's fine. It's, it's cute. Yeah, oh no, it's fun. The the mimicking that scene where he like arrives in the future and is sort of looking around the future version yes. of the town square. Yeah. And like you see all of the the different versions of yeah. the same things that you've seen in, in either. Every time we set. arrive in a new time period, when he goes back to the fifties, to twenty fifteen, alternate eighty five, and then even to eighteen eighty five in the last film, yeah. you get like that same kind of establishing shot yeah. that always makes sure it goes back to the town hall where the clock tower is. Yes. So like in the fifties the clock tower is still functioning. In twenty fifteen the clock tower's now got a lake in front of it and it's all pristine. Yeah. It's been like preserved as a historical site yeah. thanks to that group that were working in the <laughs> yeah. 80s. In alternate 85, it's been torn down and replaced with the 
casino. Yes. And then in the 1885, it's being built and it's, it's under really established. Yeah, it's very fun. And there's a fun thing. The series begins with the end of the clock tower Ooh. and ends with the beginning. That is fun. That's very time travel. Back to the future. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's phenomenal. It is very good. I don't have much to say in, right, right now about the alternate 80s because I don't like that bit. Sure. But that's more of a personal thing. Yeah. But going back to 1955. Oh my god! As a kid, I was convinced they had made... So they filmed part two and part three back to back and they were released a year later. The end of part two even has a trailer for part three in it. Yes. As a kid, I was convinced it was actually part one and part two filmed together. Which would have made so yeah. much sense. They've got all these scenes that like line up against each other and it seems like they could have just had multiple cameras going from different angles to use for the two different films. Yeah. And like if they'd known what they were doing, if they'd known this was going to happen, they could have done that. Yeah. And it would have been phenomenal. Yeah. Alas. They did a pretty damn good job. It's so good. It's so fun seeing Marty and Doc have to try and navigate around each other. It's so good. But, so, like, I always say that, like, the second one is my favorite. Mm-hmm. And re-watching that, I realize that that's not really true. No. Um, it's just that third act of yeah. the second one. The third act and the iconography of, 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 of the future. 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. like, the, the, the 2015 plot line is yeah. nothing. Like, five years ago, <laughs> everyone was all... Everyone would talk about Back to the Future again yeah, yeah. because it was thirty years later. And it, yeah, yeah. But so yeah, the 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 set design of that that twenty fifteen set is incredible. Yeah, so good and so iconic. Every single prop. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's so much fun to like look at all the stuff in the background of that entire yeah. portion of the film and see some of the things they did get right, like the idea of like picture in picture sure. video. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The idea of. An absurd number of unnecessary sequels for films. <laughs> the ribbing on... Um, Jaws. The ri- Yeah, the ribbing on Spielberg, because yeah. he's like involved in the film. Yeah, he's the and, executive like, producer. Going to talk about the music later, but they play a Sting of the Jaws theme as well, it's which is so, so fun. fun. Like, yeah, like they're doing a lot of really fun things, but the plot in that portion yeah. of the movie is a little bit weak. Well, the plot... But then the plot in the third act of that movie is yeah. so good. The plot of part two in general is clunky. The time travel is all over the place. They throw out the rules of time travel here. So, for instance, I'm not going to go into it because this is like, well, uh, I think you'll find that. uh, (laughs) But just just as one example of, like, the the rules of time travel not flowing. And this is just within this film itself, not even any other film. Yeah. Biff travels, steals the DeLorean in 2015 and goes back to the 50s to give himself the almanac and then returns to 2015 so that Doc and Marty can take the DeLorean again. However, when Doc and Marty go back to the 80s, they're in an alternate timeline, and Doc explains that they can't go back to the future in 2015 to stop Biff there. Because that timeline no longer exists. Yeah, because Which time means has changed. that Biff should not have been able to return the DeLorean to that timeline. No. And Biff ends up dying, and there's like a deleted scene of him fading away in that time, but he shouldn't have been able to do it in the first place. No. It's kind of a thing in the first one as well. Why is the effects of changing time on a delay. Like, Marty watches his own hands start to fade away. I think it's because, like, the... It's like a probability thing. Yeah. Like, like as the chances of success go up or down, you'll fade in and out. Like... As, like, a variable, depending on how things... I didn't say it earlier, there. but, like, the moment where Marty is watching his hand fade away in the first one, though, is, like, the worst moment in the film. Oh, the yeah. weakest. It's, yeah. so, it's just cheesy and it's, over the top. Oh, yeah. It's funny. It's fine. <laughs> it's a tiny little moment. It doesn't really take away from how good the film is in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's establishing a concept. So, we're seeing this, watching this. 
Part two tries to do so much, way too much, to be honest. <laughs> You've got the alternate future, which is done very quickly. Like, okay, so they're still there going to like Marty's house and everything in the future. But like the idea of like stopping Griff and helping Marty Jr. is over in like 15 minutes or something. Yeah. It's ridiculously fast. Then you've got the alternate eight, like the alternate timeline, and then you've got going back to 1955, and that stuff is great. This should have been two films. Yeah. I think there should have been a lot more of the future stuff, because the future stuff is very fun to explore. And it's back, it's, it's very fun. And it's back to the future. And then right? It, and then That's it parallels, the only time in all three movies that we get to see any future yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it parallels really nicely against the first film being in the past. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Put the, the one in the past and then the, the second one in the future and yeah. then have the middle one be in, start at least start in that alternative present. Yeah, part two should just be all the future. There should be more going on with that get Jennifer more involved because hey, I get it. Like, it, I get that it's difficult and awkward because of how you've written the first one and everything. We talked about this. The The way that the first movie ends mm. is a very fun way to end the movie. Yes. But it was not the best place to start the second movie. No, no, <laughs> that they were They did not have that in mind when they wrote it. And yeah, it, because it was four years later before the second and film it came really, out. And it really forced their hand yeah. into pushing the story in the direction that they didn't necessarily want it to go. Yeah. Which I think is why that future segment is so short. Yeah. It's because they didn't want to do that. No. That's not the story they wanted to tell, but they were It's a shame because it is so good what we see. Everyone loves that world. Yeah. Ugh. So part two should be all 2015, right up until the end, and then you have part two end on a cliffhanger again of Marty arriving in the 80s and realizing this is an alternate world. Yeah. And then part part three... You begin there, and like you have Doc and Marty trying to understand everything, and like only the first act is in the eighties, like it's yeah, just that yeah, first yeah. part. Because then we get back to the fifties again, and that's and then we can have the fun stuff. That's the really fun part, right? And that would be such a fun way to end it. And that also bookends with the yeah. first film really effectively. Yeah, and if it would have the time to like tell that story in a in yeah. the way that it deserves. And then like part two is the the fifty stuff just ends with Doc and Marty returning to the eighties, and it's fine. Yeah, that's that's the other thing with part two in general, though, is the um, the stakes. Yeah, that's what I was that's what I was thinking to bring up. Yeah. So in part one, the stakes are high. They got to work to the to the lightning bolt. Everything's got to be done by them because that's the only yes. chance they know they've got to send Marty back to the future. Yes. So Marty's got to deal with his parents in that time and then be ready to go with the car in that time. And we mentioned that that last sort of push to get to the lightning bolt is a little bit. It's yeah boring i guess like it's the less interesting thing that's going on yeah but um, there is but a, a timeline it, it was established it is important yes like it, that is a very oh. in- distinct the transition though we've got oh a my god the transition so we, we leave doc in the 50s and like he's like celebrating his the ex- experiment being a success and then he looks up at the clock tower and then like Nothing changes, but then a helicopter comes past the clock tower and we're back in the 80s. It's so good. That's very, very good. It's so good. Yeah. So part two, in sort of the first part, they just need to get in and get out as quickly as possible because they don't want to mess things up. That's fine, whatever. Well, except, so once they're in 2015, they've got the deadline of everything going on. But Doc has developed the time machine now. He's had experience using it for the now, by that point, which he hadn't in the first film. Yeah. And, like, he's got more efficient fuel he's got the Mr. Fusion for the fuel yeah he's got everything he needs he's got the hover conversion he didn't have to pick up Marty immediately after Marty had arrived back home no he didn't have to bring Marty and Jennifer back to 2015 
the same day as the heist. He could have, like, get, taken them and spoken through them and talked out the plan. At least given them a couple more hours. Yeah, just... Like, to sort of... To, like... Go over everything. Yeah, because Marty has just got back from the 50s. Okay, he's had one night's sleep, but he's just dealt with everything in the 50s, Doc. I know you've had time. Yeah. But he's only just done that. <sighs> and you've got this plan, and it all falls apart because Marty wasn't really in on it. And because Marty then is doing stuff like... You're my son and freaking out about that. Yeah. I think I think what is trying to be established there is that Doc is trying to like give Marty as little information as possible. Like That's, he needs him to yeah. make this 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 plan that he's got go off all right mm-hmm. and he wants to tell Marty nothing. Yeah. Because Marty shouldn't know about his future. Which is valid. But like there is a more delicate way to do that yeah. instead of just throwing him into the future and letting him run wild yeah, and buy just... an almanac from the past. Fucking Marty, you idiot. Oh. That yeah. that yeah, that's sort of the the driving force of the 2015 portion. Yeah. So again, there didn't need to be that kind of clock. They could have taken more time to get the plan ready. Yeah. You have a time machine. Yeah. There was no you didn't have a specific time that you had to be yeah. there. I mean, you did, but you could have gone back. But you have a time machine. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be as rushed. Yeah. Then they put give themselves a clock in Act 3, and it's even worse. When they're back in the 50s, like, doing everything at the same time they happen to be there is fun. Old man Biff has travelled back to the same day they happen to be there. Yes. Doc and Marty didn't have to go back to that day. Doc explicitly says they can't go back until old man Biff has given himself the almanac and then left back for the future, because otherwise he'll know what's going on and try and stop them. Yes. So they don't have to do it that day. It would in fact have been better and easier for a multitude of reasons to not go back on that day. Yeah. With the only day in which Marty is already in the past. Yeah, and there's things that they could screw up in that way. Like I get okay, I get it because it's very fun. Oh yeah, like, it's delightful like, to watch. It's so entertaining. It's very, very entertaining. But also the whole time I'm just sitting there like you have a time machine! And I'm just sitting here thinking right now on the spot, you know what they could have done to, hmm. to fix this? At the end of the film, like the reason Doc ends up getting sent back to the 1880s, he has like a throwaway line about how the time circuits are, are off or whatever yeah. and malfunctioning, which is why like he had it set for 18, oh sorry, for 1985. Yeah. And like the one digit gets changed to 1885, which is why he goes back. Yeah. Established that earlier. When when they're going oh. to the 50s, just say like Doc had aimed to get there like a week later. But like one of but, the digits switched. But the time, yeah, the, but the time circuits were off. And so it didn't. Because Biff. But then why wouldn't they just go again? I don't know, because. You have a time machine. You could, Any number of things could happen at that point. Sure. Basically. Okay. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Once they're then caught up in it. But they like, could have accidentally changed yeah. something and had to redo it. It's basically, it's the solution that Doctor Who has for a lot of its problems. Just the time machine is buggy. <laughs> and then you can, then you give themselves the clock in that way. That is, that is a reasonable solution. Yeah. so much, that's, that is like such the downfall of like writing a time travel story mm-hmm. is like, how does anything happen when you have a time machine? Yeah, why are there ever any stakes for like things being done by a certain time? And and the first one and the second one do a, or sorry the first one and the third one do a really good job of like taking the time machine out of commission in a yes. very specific way mm-hmm. um, that works really really well. Yeah. The second one not so much. No, not even slightly. It's a. Uh, and they could. It's like, the say, weakest one writing wise. Yeah. It's probably one of the strongest like imagery wise. Yes. 
And like I say, the third right. act, it is incredibly fun. If As long as you accept the premise that they have to be there in that time, it's so much fun, like, seeing them dodge around everything. And, like, Marty being in Strickland's office, like, talking to Doc and being like, I don't have the book, I don't know where Biff is. Meanwhile, the audience seeing out the window the scene from the first film of George punching out Biff and then Marty's like, of course I know where Biff is. I'm already there. It's very good. Yeah. More of that, please. Yeah, it was... Yeah. <laughs> I love... Yeah, I love But all they of could that. have gone... Like, Biff... D- has that book for four years before he's able to use it until his 21st birthday when he can gamble. They have... Four years. A four-year window. Four years? Because he's 17. Is he 17? Yeah. Okay, I would have guessed that maybe Biff could have been a little bit older than everyone else. Maybe Biff is 18. I don't know. Maybe he got held back a couple years. Sure, okay, <laughs> like, fine. Like, there but... could be... There could be... But you don't need to get it that day. No. In fact, get it on a different day when he's... Get it when he's asleep. Right. Go back at night when he's asleep. You have future tech. I think they're... Break into his house. Yeah. Yeah, just... Yeah. You know where he lives. Yeah. You were stuck in his garage. Yeah. It's the 80s. Or, yeah. sorry, it's the 50s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But don't, the locks on the doors can't be that good. <sighs> <sighs> hey, let's go to the concession stand. Let's go to the concession stand. Hey, Alex. You love Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Want to listen to a new Harry Potter podcast? No. Oh. But Sorted is not a Harry Potter podcast, but instead a podcast about everything else viewed through the lens of Harry Potter. Cool. What does that mean? It means we're going to sort things. Ash Ketchum's a Slytherin. Shrek's a Gryffindor. Your dog is a Hufflepuff. And all Ravenclaws are robots. Come check out Sorted, not a Harry Potter podcast. On the Pocket Podcast Network. So part three. Part three. (laughs) Part three are saying that they could have bookended it very well, but with the 50s. it Part 3 does, however, bookend the f- series very well because you've got a similar problem to the first film and that they've got a deadline to get back to the future. Yes. But there's a problem with how they get back. In the first film, it's that they can't generate the power to fuel the time machine. Mr. Fusion solved that in Part 2. And they still got Mr. Fusion in Part 3. But now, the, the, the car gets damaged and has lost all of its fuel, so the car itself doesn't work. The time machine part is fine, but they can't get the car to go up to 88 miles per hour, so they need to do, work that out. But it's 1885. There's no gas. 90 miles an hour is unheard of, and, yeah. get, and getting more petrol is unheard of. Yeah. So they end up using a train, and like they have to rig it up in a certain way, and they have to hijack this train, and the train only comes like very infrequently, because it's 1885. Yeah. There's not a clock at that point, is the thing. They have to do it when a train is there, but yes. there's no specific instance they have to do it. Until. Until Buford. I mean, yeah, they're sort of just waiting around for a train once they've established that yes. that's how they're going to do that. But then. But you've got Buford Mad Dog Tannen. Yeah. Biff's great-grandfather, grandfather, whatever he is. The, the Biff stand-in for this, for this one. Yeah. <laughs> the clock is established by Buford saying he's going to kill Marty on Monday morning, which is when the next train's coming. So they've got to do it that morning. Or in fact, originally it was that Doc was going to be killed on Monday morning and they had to get yeah. out before Tannen could kill him. So they're like, okay, we're doing it this time because that's the only time that we'll be alive for. Yeah. But then like, they end up resolving the stuff with Tannen. Like, Marty has a showdown with him and he ends up getting arrested. Yeah. And fair enough, you probably want to do it before he get- escapes because he will inevitably get out of jail. But you don't have to go that day. It doesn't have to be that precise moment. Again, you have that sort of bit at the end where it's like, why are we rushing to do this yes. right this second when, like... Uh... The climax of three, I think, is stronger than the first film. Sure. So you've got, like, 
the social aspects going on, which in the first film is the dance and Marty's parents getting together. Yes. In the third film, it's the showdown with Buford. And in the first film, the social stuff is the stuff you're invested in. It's the fun stuff. That, that's the more interesting part of the plot, yes. In part three, the showdown with Buford is not that interesting. No. And it's resolved fairly quickly. Yeah. And then, like, the stuff on the train and, like, getting the actual time travel stuff is a lot longer and more exciting and more fun. Yes, and a little bit more interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're hijacking a speeding train. Yeah. And then they're all climbing across this train, including Clara, who shows up. Yeah. That's very fun. That's very fun. Also, you say the social aspects aren't as interesting, but, like, the social the socials part of the story with Clara... Oh, yeah. ...is very fun. Yeah, I, yeah. I meant, the like, the climax the, aspect. The, the plot driving. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we talked about... We mentioned the stand-in Buford for Biff. <laughs> the stand-ins for both of the other films in different time periods are very fun. Yes. Griff in 2015 is terrifying. He's like... <laughs> He's got, like, su- like cybernetic implants or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That got, are like, a little bit tweaky. Yeah, he's got, like, weird <laughs> verbal tics and everything. But, like, he's clearly, he's cybernetically enhanced. He's, like, a terrifying threat. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's, like, a little bit unhinged. Yeah. Which is just a, a nice, nice threatening aura. <laughs> Marty's parents are, again, played very effectively. And, like, they're, they're aged up. Like, Michael J. Fox, aged up 30 years, looks very good. And looks a lot like Michael J. Fox, aged up 30 years. Which is especially impressive considering he has Parkinson's. Yeah. Like, it's it's good. Yeah. Less good is uh, his children. <laughs> Marty has two children. Marty, <laughs> Junior, <and> Marlene. <laughs> they should have... Wait, got... her name is Marlene? Yeah. I don't know if I knew that. Mm-hmm. Do they say that in the movie? They do. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. To be fair, the voice Michael J. Fox does as a, oh, as yeah, a, yeah. As a girl is... Very convincing. It does not sound at all like him. You could be convinced it's another character. They should have just had, like, Jennifer's actress play the daughter. Or even just, like, Leah Thompson can play the daughter again or something. Like, yeah. a lot of things you could do. Or have Jennifer's actress play the son. Yeah. There's a lot of fun you could do there. That would be super fun. Yeah. There's a, there's stuff you could do. But don't just have both children be the, sh- the like, no, spitting every, image of the No, every name. character is Michael J. Fox. The stand-ins in part three are some of the, <laughs> the most fun. Like, Seamus McFly and Maggie McFly yes. are brilliant. If you didn't know that that's Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson, you might not realise. Yeah, they do a very good job. Their Irish accents are great, and like the dressing on them is phenomenal. The costume Yeah, they the look design. so different. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah. And then you've got a, a few others. You've got, like, or Marshall Strickland. Yes. In place of Principal Strickland, which is phenomenal really really good it is very good the theming of part three in general though (laughs) so part three is the one that i have watched the least because i notoriously don't care for westerns yeah i don't either but like i'm not american that's one thing like i guess it's less of a cultural thing for you yeah because we have every other country in the world has significantly more interesting history whereas like for america that's like the one thing yeah what is it third or fourth grade you spend like the whole year studying like the oregon trail basically like that same cowboy period oh does everyone do that or just people in oregon mostly just people in oregon i was gonna say (laughs) that's a personal that's a personal thing i I think my school's focus on that time period really really threw me off it but you know what i i I learned about at that age Mm. medieval england okay kings and queens and knights and yeah you know yeah no it was just uh yeah 
You learn the about Oregon the Oregon Trail and the Salmon Cycle. Oof. <laughs> That's what I remember learning about. Yay, salmon. Uh, and eventually, when you get to like fifth grade, maybe the Revolutionary War. Viva la Revolution. Amon? Viva la Revolution. So part three feels really egregious being set in the Wild West. Like It's such a, like... It's a, it's very strong iconography. Again, it's all about the iconography. It's yeah. like, it's such a distinct time period and setting in general that it detracts from what's going on. And it is fun to clash like that time period and it being the one sort of time period with like the hoverboard and the DeLorean, yeah. <laughs> and Marty's terrible, terrible cowboy God, costume. God, I hate his pink outfit so much. It's fun to clash that, but like it feels so drawn out from everything else going because on. Because the whole movie is set there, yeah. whereas like the second movie is set in three different sort mm-hmm. of places, time places. And, like, in general, the first two films overall are set in suburbia. Yes. So, like, the tonal shift of going Wild West for an entire mm-hmm. film is very jarring. Because I think... And a little bit distracting. Like, you've got 50 Suburbia, which is, you know, a thing. Yeah. And 80 Suburbia, which is slightly different. 2015 Suburbia, which is very modern. And, yeah. like, futuristic, and that's great. But it's, it's still fun. it's still Suburbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the 1800s. It's the same place, but <laughs> Suburbia isn't a thing yet. Yeah. So it just... It, it loses its... It's sense of place a little bit. Yeah. Like, the only thing that's still, like, recognizable is the clock tower that is under construction. Yeah. And like I say, it's beautiful to have them be, have the destruction of the clock tower in the first film and the creation in the last film. That's, that's great. Like, that's very cool. The best part of the film, yeah. practically. Like, for that aspect. And it's still a fun <laughs> film. A fun it adventure. is. It is. Uh, we, we just watched that one today, and it... It's the one that I've watched the least. Yeah. I usually, like, I'll watch the first one, maybe the second one. Mm-hmm. I hardly ever go back and rewatch the third one because I don't care for the setting. Yeah. Um, so, like, rewatching it, I was reminded, like, it's a very good movie. Oh, it's soup. It's brilliant. The plot is so much tighter than the second one. Yeah, because, it's again, it mirrors... funny. It mirrors the first one really effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, in a new way. Yes. It, it's not just telling the same story. It's telling a very similar yeah. story... They have, like, almost the exact opposite problem with using the DeLorean. Yeah. And then... A very but, different solution. But, yeah, exactly. Because it's the exact opposite problem and but, and they're in a very different setting, the solution is entirely different. Like, at one point, they try and pull the car with horses. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun to see them trying all the different things. Mm-hmm. I love I love that. Like, there's there's so many good ideas here. Yeah. Um, but it's so much less memorable. I think because... It's the one time they've gone to such a distinct setting like that. And I, this is one of the notes that I wrote down. Yeah. It's, it's less iconic because the, inter- the the imagery and the icons of the setting mm-hmm. are its own thing. Yes. The, the iconography of the third movie doesn't belong to Back to the Future. Yeah. Like, Suburbia is very generic, really. Sure. But and it like, does things to make it its own. Yeah. Like, like Marty's uh, puffer jacket, yeah. jean combo. Oh, yeah. Like, the... Yeah, the Marty's s- look is... <laughs> The, the DeLorean, yeah. the 
the, the sign, even like, like the sign saying Twin Pines Mall, like there's so many yeah. little things mm-hmm. that become iconic. But because also, like, of their, their Back to the Future. Like the idea of just a generic neighborhood. Like a lot of the things you see in the first film feel like you could still see a lot of that today. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. The third film has none of that. No. Like <laughs> the <laughs> the third film is borrowing all of its visual mm-hmm. everything yeah. from a, a separate existing yeah. library catalog of imagery mm-hmm. rather than creating its own. I mean, it does do some fun little bits. Like, obviously, the clock tower's there. The time-traveling train is fun. Oh, yeah, it's really... Um, uh, yeah. The, se- uh, the third one is where you get... Um, it's so early in the movie that I always forget about it. The the DeLorean with the white wall tires, mm. um, which is so much fun. I'm so into that. And I saw... I saw, I saw a thing earlier that's like really neat. Just before the DeLorean is destroyed at the end of the film, like you can see in shots of it, you you can pick out like parts of the DeLorean from each of the time periods it's visited, which is just lovely. So you've yeah. got the base DeLorean from the eighties. You've got the Mister Fusion and everything from that twenty fifteen. You've got some like some parts of the engine that are replaced in the fifties. By the end, it's got tires replaced with train treads. Yeah, I don't know what those the, are called from the eighteen eighties. <laughs> Train wheels. Yeah. Choo choos. <laughs> Choo choos. <laughs> I'm getting you back for, <sighs> for the salmon revolution or whatever it was. Viva la revolution. I gotta get you back for that. The cold card time machine. <laughs> yeah, the third one really does a good job of taking its time to tell the story that it wants mm-hmm. to tell. And it tells the story very effectively. And it's one of like the tighter plots that they have going on but it just doesn't land as well it, it almost feels like it would have been more successful the third film could have been more memorable and a little bit more interesting if they had gone to a different time period mm-hmm. instead of like the wild west which is like you don't need to describe that anymore yeah whereas instead you could have gone to turn the- of the century yeah yeah that would have been super cool pre-world war one that would have been awesome. Yeah. Like, the 20s in California is not explored super frequently. Yeah. They did a episodic series of games with Telltale around 2011, I think. Mm-hmm. And like those episodes, a lot of it is explored in the 30s and like Prohibition era. Yeah. And like you've got like Biss father or grandfather, I forget which, who's a mob boss. Yeah. Yeah. And because the town has already been constructed, it still feels like the same location. Yeah. But in a very distinct way. And I'm sure that you could use a setting like that to form a more iconic sort of look Mm -hmm. that isn't just, you know, stealing the look of Mm -hmm. every other Western. Yeah. Which, I mean, I get they were going for something different. Yeah. And I I I can respect going for something different, but it feels like it loses a lot of its charm and a lot of its Mm back-to-the-future-ness. A quick thing that I forgot to talk about when you talked about part one, the hot and cold stuff going on so the DeLorean when it time travels only in the first films by the second and third films Doc has basically fixed that problem with future tech but when the DeLorean time travels the three times it does in Mm -hmm. part one it gets covered in ice when it arrives which is a very fun distinct thing so often you'll see like you know computers and like technology technology runs hot yeah it overheating and everything so the, the idea of like freezing up it's a very distinct thing. But in the films itself, it's not really explained. But I had a realization earlier watching it again. 
Because when it leaves when one time... Every time the DeLorean leaves, and this is still the case in the future, like you see it with the train and everything as well. Yes. Yeah. The fl- you've got flaming tracks left where the DeLorean had been. And so in that moment in the third one is one of the more iconic... Yeah, like the the, the treads carrying yeah. on across the train tracks that is so don't cool. exist yet. Yeah. And like in the first one where like the license plate is spinning and says out of time and collapses, yes. that's a brilliant shot. And like the, the tracks going between each of Marty and Doc's legs again yes. in part one. Very iconic. There's flaming tracks left. And I feel like what's being said there is essentially the car is leaving all of its thermal energy in the time period it's leaving, which causes the fire, because suddenly there's a lot of thermal energy that's not being contained. And then when it, so when it arrives, it's lost all its thermal energy, so it's frozen up. That's very cool. Yeah, I don't know I if don't that was know, the intention. Yeah, I don't know how intentional that was. But... It's a very cool concept. Yeah, it feels brilliant. It's it's a much more interesting look that, yeah. it, that oh, it freezes yeah. over rather than... Yeah, like... Like a more traditional, a more obvious take. Yeah, and again... For it to be hot. But, like, you still got the hot with the flaming tire tracks. Yeah. Which, it's such an iconic look. You see two flaming tire tracks. You know what's being referenced there. Like, yeah. tire tracks with no car. Like, that's Back to the Future. That's, yeah, that's time travel in DeLorean that just drove through there. Yeah. Or up in the sky. Or across a train track. Or into a movie theater. <laughs> okay. I think it's time to talk about music. Oh, yeah. You... Okay. This, this well, was a segment I set aside for you. Let's talk about, like... Specifically, like, other songs that are brought in first. Sure. Part 1's music is fucking phenomenal. The soundtrack to Part 1 is incredible. Bum, 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 Mr. Sandman. Like, Mr. Sandman, like, it's now so recognizable for establishing the 50s in Back to the Future. Yeah. It's a great song in its own. Yeah. But, like, it's got that... Yeah, that's one of the, that's the thing. I, I know that song exists outside mm-hmm. of Back to the Future. Like, yeah. it's, you know, it's a, a well-established song and everything, and it's yeah. used in plenty of other things. But whenever I hear it without any other, like, assigned context, mm-hmm. say, like, it randomly started playing in a grocery store or something, yeah. my brain would yeah. just play me that scene <laughs> from the first Back to the Future movie where you get the pan around the, the city center. It's a town square. Parts two and three are weaker in their establishing shots, especially they're going to 2015. Like, you're, it's clearly trying to mimic, mimic that same scene of establishing it's the 50s from part one by establishing 2015 in part two. Yes. It plays like dark, edgy music that like feels like it's trying to establish that this is like the alternate horrible timeline. It's, I think it's supposed to, I think it's trying to inspire a sense of awe. Like, whoa, it's so future. I, but it doesn't come across that way. No, it feels creepy. And it, do, it does. It feels a little bit sinister. I think they should have just gone with some kind of future feeling pop song or like a techno remix of Mr. Sandman or something. That would have been so good. What I really want to see now, though, is an edit of that scene with a song from 2015. And we were talking about this yeah. and what song it would be. Yeah, what do we... F- I liked Centuries by Fall Out Boy. That's fun. Um, We also like... We liked Uptown Funk as well. <laughs> it doesn't quite fit the feel. Yeah, it doesn't quite fit the feel. Shake it off. <laughs> oh my god. Put shake it off in there. Because the hate is going to hate, 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 hate. <laughs> Oh, man. Hotline bling. You know, Marty needed Shake It Off. Remember that time when out of nowhere it was decided <laughs> that Marty... Nobody. Had like a weird complex where... Calls me chicken. Where did that come from? And it's not just the word chicken. No! Because in part three it's nobody calls me yellow. 
And then, well, in that same, like, right before that scene, like, that guy gets him to try that gun by saying him, by telling him, like, oh, even a baby, even a baby can do yeah. it. Are you a baby? And, like, it doesn't have the same, like, dramatic pause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the same thing that's happening. Yeah. Uh... God damn it. So yeah. now I just, I keep hearing those scenes as, like, nobody calls me baby. And so then, like, alternate 1985, again, has, like, a similar thing. I think they do actually have a song playing when they, like, get to the casino. I forget what it is. I don't remember. Whatever. And then, like, in the 1880s, obviously, you're not going to have, like, something from the charts. No. But play something, f- like, fun to establish a scene instead of just, like, it's very... There's, know. like, no sound it's effect there quiet. at all. There is music, but it's very... It's very subtle. Yes. Um, but then, like, they're in uh, the, like, tavern. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, later, and, like, some... Like, there is, like, some... Like, a player piano Camp going. Countdown Races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing. Um, and, like, how great would it have been if that could have been yeah. an old-timey Mr. Sandman? <laughs> I know that wouldn't have made any sense, but I think that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Because they, they do so reuse Mr. That. Sandman in part two when they're back in the 50s. Yeah. Um, other music, though. So, Johnny B. Good. Yes. It's phenomenal. It's great. There's the, the slightly upsetting implication that, you know, they've taken the creation of rock and roll away from black people and given it to Marty. Because, like, what? Marvin Berry calls up his cousin Chuck. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's. I mean, it's played as a joke. Yeah. And I don't think it's supposed to be saying that Marvin... Oh, Chuck Berry was actually inspired to write it by Martin McFly. I think it was just a fun little throwaway gag, really. Yeah. And it is very fun. It's, like, such such a bop. It is a bop. And how many... Like, I feel like many people these days know it because of Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah. Huey Lewis and the News. Huey Lewis and the News! Don't need money. Don't take fame. Don't, don't need, need a credit card to ride this train. It's strong cool. and it's sudden and it, it can, can be, be cruel sometimes. But it might just change your life. That's the power of love. That one's on my playlist. I hear it yeah. regularly. <laughs> Tell me, doctor, where are we going this time? So there's two brilliant songs. Power of Love played in the film. And it's considered like the theme of the film as a, like as a and then Back in time. Back in time, baby, in the credits, which also plays as, like, on Marty's alarm clock, despite the fact that, like, if you listen to the full song, it does talk about Doc and tra- time jump and stuff. Yeah. Don't worry about it, it's fine. Which one is playing at the end of back- part three? Is it back in time again? I think it's back in time again. When Niels dries up, it's playing on his radio. One of those two songs, I forget which one. Oh, I forget. It was, pro- I think it was Power of Love. Okay, sure. Regardless, they're both phenomenal songs. It's so much fun. Part one is incredible with its music in that way. Yeah, part one does a very good job with... Part two and part three add some stuff, but not much. No, they're really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, part three, you're not drawing on contemporary music so much. Like, and that's fine. Part one establishes the the theme music. Yes. The theme music... Like, it starts with, like, that building mystery. It does, it does. Which is so good. Okay, my time. Yes, go off, go off. I love theme music being used as incidental music like the finale of Gravity Falls if you haven't seen it, it the theme song is brilliant and they use the theme song as like action music in the final episode and it's, it's like a so awesome guitar remix yeah that I mean, is so cool like I've grown up on like Power Rangers and Power Rangers uses its theme song as incidental music all the time yeah, for fight yeah. scenes and it, oh Digimon did that a lot too Digimon does that a <laughs> Not with the theme music. No, but Digimon with the other... The Digimon other has other songs. Using the theme music as internet music is so iconic. 
And the Back to the Future theme is one of the best for it because there's so many little parts. It's used as a sting all the time, like Marcio Land a punch. Dun, 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 dun. And that's all you hear. But it's still yeah. Like when anything significant happens, yeah. you get that that bit. You know, the DeLorean starts going. It's just phenomenal. The Back to the Future theme is up there with like one of the top film themes. Very good. Yeah. Uh, like if I were, I mean, I don't have this list to list off for you right now, but if I were to make a list of like my top 10 favorite movie soundtrack themes mm -hmm. or whatever, that might be the only one that's not, uh, John Williams. Thank you. <laughs> I was, like, was going to say, Will Johnson? <laughs> name, name a more iconic movie theme that's not John Williams. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. You, you can't count John Williams. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. It's, it would be one of the few that would not be a John Williams theme. Yeah. So the music, yeah, I'm done on music. Um, Do you have anything more written down about that? Let me check. Um, the set dressing is phenomenal. Where the all, where did all that organic dialogue go? It's so awkward. Yeah. Part two. Like, <laughs> it's very weird. When Marty arrives in the diner in the cafe eighties, he, like he chicken comes out of nowhere. Sorry. When Marty arrives in cafe eighties in 2015. He sees old man Biff and like Biff, he just has such clunky force eyes because that scene, because the future stuff is so short and they want to establish everything quickly. Marty's just like, hello, think McFly, your butthead useless father or whatever. And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. who, who, it comes who out of nowhere. Like it comes out of nowhere as well. It does. And like a lot of things in the second movie come out of nowhere. Is this also supposed to be Biff, old man Biff's first time ever seeing Marty Jr. and recognizing him instantly? I don't Despite know. the fact that Marty Jr. does know Griff. And they both frequent the same cafe. Yeah, so as a whole, the series is very fun. Yes. It does bookend very nicely because of the alternate DeLorean problem plots. That's yes. nice. Yes. They didn't need to make the second two films. They didn't. The, the first, first film is stands alone so well. Superb. It's so tight. It's so yeah. like wraps itself up so neatly. It's so fun yeah. and so good. Yeah. Part two and three do do a lot of good fun things. Yes. Like I say. When people think about Back to the Future, a lot of the time they are thinking about 2015. Yeah, which is like 20, 30 minutes of the second movie. Yeah, and like for like some of the most iconic things people remember to come from uh, the sequel, that is impressive. Yes, yeah. yes. Like Back to the Future 2, I think it's like got to be up there with like one of the better sequels in general. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, that's, it's not yeah. a, that good of a movie. It's fine. It's it's as, as a movie, it's fine. As part of the series, it's very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah as a standalone film, it's it's garbage. It's, it's nothing. You, like you don't, <laughs> you can't watch just part two. No, it's very much a th a middle act. It is like part three still more or less works on its own. You've got some weird establishing stuff, and they do do like the reestablishing stuff very effectively, like having like Doc like narrating to himself and then rereading like him reading the letter that. He sent himself later to Marty. Yeah. Because Marty read that at the end of part two. Doc hadn't read that yet. So him reading it there is good establishing yeah, yeah, for people yeah. to remember stuff. It's still a bit clunky because, you know, it's a third film in a series. But if you take that out, part three, it's a solid film yeah, on its own. Yeah, it, it mostly works. Part two. Part two, absolutely not. No. But it's the one that gets remembered because yeah. it has it has iconography that isn't related to anything else. Yeah. It has that holographic hat that you've never seen in any other yeah. media. Nike actually put a stupid amount of money into research to make self-lacing <laughs> shoes and have made like pro promotional pairs of those. Yeah. Like, yeah. Nike. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Like, in- individually, the, the films are very in quality. Yeah. Like I said, um, part, part two, despite having a lot of fun stuff going on, the first and third acts are brilliant things to enjoy, but they don't work outside of the context of the series. Yeah. Unlike a lot of what else is going on. Yeah. But then, like, the series as a whole... It's phenomenal. It's, great. it's yeah. so good. Like, we watched all three over the last three days and loved it. Yeah. No, yeah. it was... It was it was very enjoyable. So are they are they the greatest movies in the world? Yes. No. Are they? <laughs> no. No. Do, do they do the best at representation? No. Like they, they could be better. Oh yeah. Well yeah. yeah. Things we can. Get, they like, they could be better in so so many ways. Mm-hmm. But oh, like Goldie Wilson. <laughs> yeah. But plot wise, mm-hmm. the stories, like. Especially that first one is is so good, so well done. When you think of time travel, if you're not English <laughs> and thinking of Doctor Who, you think Back to the Future. Yeah. Like yeah. The DeLorean is one of the most iconic time machines of all time. The DeLorean and the TARDIS probably fight for being like the most iconic time machines yeah. from media. Yeah. But when you think, okay, there's been some comics and a lame cartoon and a couple of games here and there, but for the most part, Back to the Future was three films. Doctor Who's been a TV show on and off for 50 years. Yeah. And is incredibly popular. Yeah. But, like, the DeLorean is competing with the TARDIS. Yeah. That's... <sighs> <laughs> so we've got to rate it's this film. It's got and we... staying so power. We... To it, we've got to rate this film out of DeLoreans, of course. Well, I think we can rate each movie out of a different system. Okay, fine. Go on. So we can do the first one out of DeLoreans. Okay. I feel like Flux Capacitors is a reasonable... Sure. And... Grey's Almanacs. <laughs> Hoverboards. Yeah. That's the thing, right? So you just named multiple... Like, so we got the DeLorean from the first film. We got, you just named iconic things from the first two films. Yeah. What do you want to rate the last film from? Time Traveling Trains. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. Um, white Wall Tires. <laughs> Dogs named after scientists. First one... First film, Flux Capacitor. Sure. Second film, Hoverboard. Okay. Third film... Bad cowboy outfits. Yes! Series overall, DeLoreans. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Because it it does deserve to be rated as a cohesive series. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so what would you rate the first film? We're doing flux capacitors? Yes. The first film I'm going to give four and a half. Okay. I think technically it's very tight. It's very good. It's very well done. Yeah. It has a couple weak moments. It's not exactly a perfect film sure but it's very close i'm probably gonna rate it 1985 oh flux capacitor out of five 1.21 <laughs> <laughs> i give it 1.21 gigawatts i think you'll find it's gigawatts apparently i was reading this again the sign, like it's just, it is supposed to just be like a pronounce a a very rare pronunciation of gigawatts. Yeah. Like the scientists they consulted on the first film it's pronounced like, it that way. It's like GIF versus GIF. Gail and Zemeckis didn't know that it was a weird, unique pronunciation. They thought, "I oh, yeah, gigawatts." That's what the scientists said. It's like no. That's adorable. Yeah. Because who'd heard of a gigawatt in the eighties? I give it eighty-eight miles per hour. Hey. Part two. <laughs> Part two. As a standalone film. As a standalone film. Gets that 1.21 out of 5. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm going to say like a one and a half. It's got some fun concepts, but yeah. it does not stand alone. No, I do enjoy it. Like I said, it gave me nightmares as a kid. If you asked me as a kid, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. 
I do really enjoy it because it plays around with time travel. Yeah. The, the other films don't have the chance to do that. They're more solid for it. The I second can't... one is the fun one. Yeah. Like, as an independent film, but part of the series still, three out of five. Yeah, that sounds right. As a standalone film, like, one. Yeah. But as a, as a film part of a series, yeah. three is pretty good. Part three? As a standalone film? I guess. Three and a half cowboy outfits. I'm probably still going to just say, like, three cowboy outfits out of five because like yes it works better individually but it's just not as interesting it's yeah it's not i the reason i give it a slightly higher score is because the writing is is so much tighter Mm -hmm. and so series overall series overall i like a solid four deloreans yeah yeah i think if i'm averaging my scores it probably comes out to like 1955 deloreans out of five why are you like this? <laughs> no, but legitimately, yeah, I adore these films. Like, four and a half out of yeah. five. Seriously. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's... Just, they're so good. There's so much iconography. I guess the only thing I can say is, like, t- let's talk about a bad Back to the Future film. We can't. None of them are bad. None of them are actively bad. They're all fun and entertaining and decent. Yeah. Problems are here and there yeah but all good films yeah thank you for listening to home viewing for those of you who may not be aware i'm jd and i'm alex and we are of sorted where we not a harry potter podcast not a harry potter podcast where we take various pop culture features and sort them into the houses of harry potter such as thank you for listening to home viewing i'm alex i'm jd and if you don't know who we are or if you're interested in hearing more from us we have a podcast called Sorted, not, not a, a Harry, Harry Potter, Potter podcast. podcast. <laughs> we take pop culture and we sort it into the four houses of Harry Potter, Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Slytherin. We look at the characters and consider their traits and decide what kind of person they are. If you like character analysis, off-topic shenanigans, lightning bolt sound effects, come check us out. We're <laughs> at Sorted Pod on Twitter. John and Bethany are over there and they're sorting the West West Wing. Wing. They're sorting the West Wing. We don't know anything about the West Wing. We're very excited to have them go sort the West Wing for us. Go and find out what house the president from West Wing is in. I don't know. He's got a name, I'm sure. (laughs) I was really curious to see where you're... I was like, can you name a single character from the West Wing? Mr. President. (laughs) You can also find us both individually. I'm at Codename JD. And I'm at... Pichu, P-T-C-H-E-W. Sorry, I think I had to just do some of like our regular sign of stuff there for know, Alex to remember feel, how to do a it podcast. It feels really weird. Thank you to the people who did the theme song for home viewing. This has been a delight. Yeah, it's been fun. We're part of the Pocket Podcast Network. Yes. Probably important to talk about. This yeah. is Pocket Podcast Network show swap month. So as I said, John and Bethany are over on our podcast. Other people are swapping. So like No Dice and Green Mountain Mysteries are two actual play podcasts and they've swapped this month. They've already put out their episodes. I'm not sure who's swapping else with who, but we've also got cult classics, steampunks, them's the facts, which obviously you know about. Cool tank. We'll see you in the future. I'm JD. I'm Alex. And don't buy any more DVDs, unless you're John and Bethany, who apparently need to buy Back to the Future. It's never how you knew it. Nobody looks at it that way but you. We all saw drowning, but you were the one with the blood on your hands. Sing it, I never saw the one Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.